Morning, everybody. Morning. Man, I love that intro to that piece. Just it doesn't mean it sounds better than that. That's Isai and David Siahan. You guys killed it. Both of them were on the keys today. Amazing. Amazing group of people. Hey, it's nice and cool in here, isn't it? Yeah, it's because we replaced four air conditioners this week. Four. Four. Four air conditioners this week. I want to thank you for those of you who have already given to special projects, both for the cafe and for the air conditioners. We started the week thinking we'd need to replace two. Four. That's six this year, and if it continues to be hot, it'll probably be a bunch more. So um, thank you. Thanks for helping out. It's, uh, you know, it's Southern California, so those things are not... Um, that's the word I'm looking for. They're, they're mandatory. We'll just put it that way. They're mandatory. Anyway, thank you guys for being here. It's so awesome. We're so glad to have you. Isn't the cafe looking amazing? That team out there is doing such a good job. So cool. So cool. So much good stuff. I'm so happy. So happy for you being here. And um, there's, there's still extra seats up here. If you're standing in the back, there's a few. You've got to come up front a little bit, but we won't watch. You just sneak in when you can. Um, beach day next week. Come hang out with us. We're going to be at Doheny. Um, the reason why, we used to do it on Saturday after church and go to Huntington Beach. Have you ever tried to find parking on a Saturday afternoon in Huntington Beach? Yeah, some of you went with us. I went two and a half miles away and rode a skateboard back and then forgot where my car was. Isai, I'm pretty sure, got a ticket. Um, so we don't do that anymore. We go to Doheny and we do it on Sunday to make it a little bit easier. But we'd love to have you all come if you can. RSVP on the website just so we know how much food to bring. We brought so much food the last time and nobody could get to the beach that I was eating Big Franks for a good six months for lunch. Just for months. We had all these, all these cans of them. I just eat them cold. They're the best cold. You shouldn't even... What do you mean, oh no? You don't have to warm those things up. They're a meat analog, which means they're not digital. I think, is that what it means? No, you, you don't need to warm up veggie meat. If you're new to veggie meat, know this. You don't have to warm it up. You can just walk by the microwave and eat it. You'll be fine. You'll be 100% fine. <laughs> you don't even have to put it in the sun, literally. It's, it's not real food. I was, I was golfing with a guy yesterday, and um, we were talking, and it's, it's horrible when you're on the, you know, as a pastor, it's kind of horrible when people ask you um, what you do, because, of course, we're on the golf course, and, and he was saying some things, and he was like, oh, what do you do? And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm a pastor, and he's like, oh, man, I'm sorry, and I'm like, it's, it's all right, like, I've heard those words before. Not in that order or with that <laughs> intensity, but no, I've heard those words. Anyway, he was funny because he was like, oh yeah, my dad, he was married to a bunch of people, and I think his second or third wife was a Seventh-day Adventist. And he's like, I'm not, and then they immediately need to like confess something, so he's like, I'm not a vegetarian. <laughs> Bro, we're like on the third hole, man. You don't have to, I don't know why you're telling me that. I was like, oh, neither am I. And he's like, what? And I was like, yeah, I didn't grow up a vegetarian. You know, we're healthy, but, you know, we never, never were a vegetarian. And he's like, why not? I'm like, why do you care? <laughs> like, you knew I was a pastor like 30 seconds ago, and now we're into a lifestyle conversation. And I was like, well, you know, because my grandmother grew up in North Dakota. And I asked her one time, I was like, hey, how come we're not vegetarian? And she said, because we had to make it through winter. 
We had to kill the cow. That's what she said. All the vegetarians here are like, Except there is something weird about rabid meat eaters, right? People who are like, I am not vegetarian, like I killed the cow. It's like they want to say, like, I'm not vegetarian because I hate animals. Like, think about it. That's what it feels like when they're so anti-vegetarian. Anyway, that joke didn't fall. I'm not going to do it in the next service. Please don't tell them there was a bad joke, right? That's the worst, man. You guys just sat there quietly like, that's not funny, Pastor John. Should I start the sermon? It's been like five minutes. Okay, so we're starting to read about the book of Galatians. Um, Galatians is a book of contrast, and there's some really great contrast that we're going to talk about. Um, but, but there's some things I want you to keep in your head as we study the book of Galatians. By the way, if you've never read Galatians all the way through, spend some time this afternoon. Spend like 20, 30 minutes reading the book of Galatians. It's not really that long, actually. We're going to spend about seven weeks in it. But preempt, preempt us going through every word. Just get in there yourself and, and study it. It's a great it's a great book, but there's a lot of contrasts that are happening. And so I want, three, I want you to keep three things in your mind as we study the book of Galatians. Um, so this is how we will read the book of Galatians. This is kind of the rules for the road, and I want you to keep this in your mind as we're reading it. There's three things. First of all, I want you to learn how to read between the lines, right? Because it's important. What Paul doesn't say in the book of Galatians is almost as important as some of the things that he does say right? And we're not, we're not making all these huge assumptions for, for, you know, just out of nothing. Like, we understand the historical context, the geographic context, we understand what was going on at the time, but one of the things we have to do is realize he writes this book, uh, and it's not a book, right? It's a letter. We see it as a book, but it's a letter. He writes this letter in a particular way, leaving certain things out that he's put in other letters, like Romans and Ephesians, and putting certain things in that he hasn't in other books as well. So it's important that we read between the lines to see how he is leaning and what he is assuming. That's important. The second thing we need to keep in mind is that the church in Galatia was taking one step forward, but then it was taking two steps back. And so you need to understand his frustration as he's writing this book, because he was frustrated. He was angry, can we even say, when he was writing this particular letter to the Galatians, because they kept taking one step forward towards the gospel and then would take two steps back away from it, and that was, Paul was just not having that. The third thing that I want you to keep in mind is the us versus them mentality, right? There are times where Paul seems to encourage it, and then there are times when Paul steps very far away from it and says that's actually not what we're supposed to be doing. So we're going to keep an eye on those three things. Reading between the lines. Um, what was the second one? You weren't even paying attention. Look at that. It was gone that quickly. The second one was, what was the second one? Go, go back. I totally forgot. Now you made me forget. One step forward, two steps back. And the third one is us versus them. Okay, we got the rules of the road. Are you ready? You're not going to remember. You didn't remember just then. I forgot to. Right, but what was going on? Let's get some historical and geographic context. What was going on? So it was not long after Paul had planted this church or the churches in Galatia, because there may have been more than one, certainly. But some of the Jewish Christians taught these new believers that it was necessary to belong to the Jewish people in order to receive the full blessing of God. Therefore, they, were, they required that the marks of identity that were peculiar or specific 
to the Jewish people, things like circumcision, Sabbath observance, and kosher food. And we see this in, in chapter 2 and chapter 4, 5, and 6, um, that these things were important. And in fact, probably, no doubt we could even say that they used the story of Abraham's willingness to be circumcised to persuade the Galatian believers that without membership in the Jewish people by circumcision, they could not participate in the covenantal blessings promised to Abraham. And chances are, they were even preempting the teachings of Paul, who had set up the church. They were preempting the teachings of Paul and his authority by claiming that support for this kind of behavior actually came from the original apostles in the Jerusalem church. So we're going to talk more about that. They probably even pointed out that the mother church in Jerusalem still faithfully followed these Jewish traditions. So you know what we do? We're stepping into a mess, right? And churches are often a mess. Churches are not places that always work always well together. Churches, even 2,000 years later, we haven't always figured stuff out. I mean, I got to tell you, I've been in church meetings where, where fights are vicious, and I don't know what it is. You know how you fight with your family, worst of all? Why is that? Those are the people we love and love us, and those are the people we're willing to, like, just eviscerate when we have conversations. I was one time, I was in Australia, and I was in a meeting with a church that I, had, I was just speaking at. Like, I was just there as a, as a speaker, and they were having this meeting, and it, things got so heated, they started to call each other names, but they were like Australian names, which sounded kind of funny to me but they were very serious about it. And then they pulled out the church manual and literally started like, well, in, in paragraph 14b, it says this, so we have to do this. And I've never seen that before. And they were like, right, pastor, pointed at me. And I was like, I'm not familiar with that document. And they were like, what, don't you read this? And I was like, I've read it 25 years ago in seminary. I have not read it a lot since then. And they were quoting it and yelling at each other. Man, church people can be mean. And can be mean to each other. And it was really no different back then. They were having issues in the church. One last thing. Let's talk about destination and date, right? Most of you probably don't care when it happened, but it's worth knowing that in the third century BC, the Celts actually overtook some areas in Turkey, right? The Celts or the Celts. I don't know how you say that. Um, they, they took it in, they took over Turkey three centuries before Jesus, and then they called it Galatia, and you often hear the areas of Galatia and Phrygia mentioned together. These were areas that were overrun by the Celts in um, the third century B.C. We're not sure if the churches were in North Galatia or South Galatia. We're not sure. It's Turkey, essentially. It's, it's portions of Turkey, and um, we're not sure. Probably the South, I think, I think there's a little more historical evidence for that, but, you know, if, if, I don't know the postal code. But it was written between 54 and 56 AD, so it wasn't that long after Paul had established these churches. Like, literally, it, he left, and they immediately started to have issues. So let us begin, which sounds sort of formal, doesn't it? But, I, like, it should be formal when we step into this work, when we step into this exegesis. Let me tell you why. Paul is going to deal with things like soteriology or salvation theology. He's going to talk about forgiveness. He's going to talk about justification. He's going to talk about sanctification. He's going to talk about lifestyle, equity, and equality. 
as well as simply what it means to be a Christian in the first century and in our time, as well as authority structures. So this is important stuff. So as we begin, take it seriously, because Paul did. And he begins like he begins most of his letters, putting his name out there. This letter is from Paul, an apostle, and he puts this position right there. But it's not so much that Paul felt like he needed to tell you what his job was, right? If I wrote you a letter, say, hey, this is Tim Gillespie, pastor of Crosswalk Church. He's getting familiar, even though they would have known who he was, but he wanted to set up an authority structure really quickly that was different than the one they were diving into. And so he says, I was not appointed by any group or people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. So there's a whole lot going on in this first sentence. But he wants you to understand the authority that he got didn't come from Jerusalem. It didn't come from that group of original apostles. He was given his calling directly from God, if you remember, on the road to Damascus. Right? Jesus literally knocked him off his horse and said, Paul, why are Saul at the time, why are you persecuting me? And he wants them to understand this because there were those in the church that were using the authority of Jerusalem, man's authority, right? The headquarters of the church. They were saying, listen, this is what they do in Jerusalem, so you got to do the same thing. And, and that would make sense, and it's easy to read this and feel like, well, Paul's like bragging. He's telling him, you know, telling you that he's an apostle. It's not that. See, Paul was not a ladder climber. Paul wasn't interested in the ladder of human achievement. He wasn't interested in the position that somebody in the church had given him. He wanted you to know that he had the, he had the authority to speak, and that authority came from God. When I stepped out of church ministry for a while and stepped into healthcare, I had advice on like my second day of work. Advice from a friend of mine, he said, listen, this is what you gotta do when you work in healthcare. I was like, okay, I'm all ears. I don't know how this goes. And he said, you always have to be looking at the next rung on the ladder, the next position. You gotta position yourself so you're ready so they'll move you up and you'll move up and you'll become administrator and you'll become this. And I, I, this is like my second day on the job. I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing. And he's like, that doesn't matter. What matters is what's next. Right? And a lot of us live our lives that way. Like, are you a ladder climber? A lot of us live our lives saying, okay, what's next? What was my next thing? How do I position myself? Where am I going to get to? I need that authority. I need that position. You know, if you're a ladder climber, the problem is that you're never really present, and you're always waiting for the next affirmation to come. And, and when it comes, it's never enough. You always need more because you're waiting for the affirmation of man. Paul didn't play that game. Paul's affirmation came from God. He was super clear about it, and so he wanted to remind the church. It's why he established the church at the beginning in the first place. It's why they listened to him in the first place, because the authority that came, that came to him came from God through Jesus Christ. That's where it came. See, really what we're talking about is God's authority versus man's authority, and he needed to set that up because, again, the conversations that were happening in church were happening because the Jewish Christians, Jewish Christians, were falling back into some traditionalism that they said he didn't have to do. Now, one other thing we should make a note of. This letter is written to the Christians in Galatia, some of which came from a Jewish tradition, some of which came from a Greek tradition. Sometimes these letters have been used, excuse me, sometimes these letters have been used to really perpetuate a kind of anti-Semitism, 
saying that the Jews were doing this. That's not actually what was going on. Does it have implications for the Jewish tradition from a Christian standpoint? Yeah, of course. But Paul was not writing to the Jews. He was writing to the Jewish Christians and the Greek Christians. Are we clear on that? Because this was a new group of people, and he was trying to help them clarify what was going on. But really what we're talking about is the difference between kingdoms and empires for our use of term. When I use kingdoms and empires, which I will a lot through this series in Galatia, what we're talking about is the kingdom of God versus the empires of man. So what is the difference, at least in the way we're going to be defining them? God builds kingdoms. Humans build empires. Authorship is what we're talking about, right? The kingdom is God's. And you might, this may bother you a little bit because you're really good at building empires, whether they're small little empires within your family, within your work, within your position, whatever, within your social structure. You may be really good at building empires. But Jesus is all about the kingdom, and Paul is about the kingdom as well. And so he wants them to understand, like, it's kingdom authority. That's where I speak from. It's not empire authority. And Jesus actually had a conversation with his disciples about this. And this is what he did. It happens in Matthew 18, so we've seen Jesus discuss this kind of thing before. And you'll be familiar with the story once you hear it. It says, about that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's not what they were asking. They said, in this empire you're about to build, I'd like to know where I fit. I'd like to know what rung of the ladder I'm on. So you let me know who's best among us, and then we will position ourselves as we can right? That's what they were really asking him. And already they didn't get it. They didn't understand what he was building. This is something that far transcended, far outstripped any thoughts that they had. But they were really interested in knowing where they fit in the kingdom. And then Jesus does what Jesus does. Jesus calls this little child to him and put the child among him. So he doesn't just like point to a kid. He says, hey, come here. I need you to stand right here. So now this kid is standing in the midst probably of the disciples. And Jesus decided he was going to change their perception of success. Then he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins, the sin of what? The sin of position. The sin of positioning. And become like little children. You will never even make it in to the kingdom of heaven. So what does he mean? Does he mean we have to be innocent like little children? Yeah, I think that's part of it. Do we have to be ignorant like little children? Because there's a lot of things that little kids don't, don't know, maybe, a little bit. Really, more. He wants them to be unconcerned about their place. Little kids, when they play together, at first, when they're little, until they figure this out a little bit, they're not really worried about place. They're not worried about who you are or what family you come from or whatever. Kids aren't worried about that. We worry about stuff like that. Kids don't worry about stuff like that. In fact, kids don't even know about position until they go to school and they got to line up. And then they know. And they want to be first in line. We all want to be first in line. Right? But by and large, kids aren't that interested in that. So Jesus continues, and he says, so anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So he said, all those things that you thought were going to give you position, those things that were going to give you authority, those things that were going to give you power, none of those matter. You need to become like a little kid. And then, well, I mean, he really talks about humility there, right? When a humility is an important word. He says, and anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf, is welcoming me. And by the way, 
they were clear on Jesus' position in the kingdom. So when Jesus connects himself to this little child, and he says, this one's as important as I am in the kingdom of God. And I'm, I'm just betting, and we, we, don't, we don't really get the greatest reaction from, you know, we don't, they don't explain it, but my bet is the disciples were like, why do we do this? Why do we keep asking these questions of Jesus? And he just eviscerates every single thing that we do, and he does it in the kindest way. But what we're recognizing is this. Kingdoms transcend empires. They aren't just bigger. They're more important. They're transcendent in that they cut through. They last longer. They supersede any empires we may build. They're no respecters of positions or of power. And so Galatians continues in verse 2. Paul says, listen, all the other brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches in Galatia. So there were a few churches there. And this portion of the greeting reminds the church in Galatia that they are not alone, that there are others in the kingdom. Their little empire that's being built, don't worry about that. There's others in the kingdom, and they're all concerned about their family in Galatia. It's really important that they know that. And listen, it's easy for us to get tunnel vision. It's easy for us here in Crosswalk Redlands to be like, oh, Crosswalk Redlands, that's all that matters. Or even like within the brand, the Crosswalk churches are all that matters. Or even within the denomination, the Seventh-day Adventist churches are all that matter. Or even within Christianity, like the people who call themselves Christians are all that matter. Jesus Christ came and died for everyone. Everyone has access to the kingdom right? Not all will accept it, but everyone has access to it, and so we shouldn't be myopic in the way that we see. We should not get tunnel vision, and Paul is reminding them that there's a greater group of saints watching them, not watching them like checking them out, but watching them caring for them. And then in verse 3, may God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. And this is his common welcome and introduction, and it's always inclusive, right? Grace being the Greek word, peace being the Hebrew word, shalom. And so he's always including the fact that these are there. So there's this idea that it's Jews versus Greek, Greeks, right? But remember, it's to the Jewish Christians and to the Greek Christians But what's happening is that the Jewish Christians are falling back into their tradition. Why? Because tradition gives us comfort, and tradition gave them identity. And you got to think about this. You've got thousands of years of tradition, and now you're called out of it. It's going to be easy to recidivize back into those traditions. Really easy. Really easy to say, no, you know, this feels too loose. This feels too free. Like, I'm just I'm just saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, and there's nothing that I'm supposed to do? Like, I can't do anything to make me more saved? If you come from a legalistic background, you know how hard that is? Some of you do. Some of you still struggle with the idea that everything that needed to be done for you was done on the cross of Christ and in His resurrection. Some of you are still concerned that you're not keeping the Sabbath right, or you're not eating right, or you're not doing the things that God would have you do. Some of you are still fighting those legalistic ideas that say, if you could just be a little more perfect, maybe God would love you just a little bit more. But Scripture doesn't say that. Scripture says, my grace is sufficient. It's done. And then Paul goes on in Romans 8, 38 and 39 to say, for I'm convinced 
that neither death nor life nor angels nor principality nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? But it's easy to fall back into tradition. We all have to fight that. And Paul reminds them, listen, Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from the evil world in which we live. The reason for this whole letter is because what Christ has done for you on the cross and in his resurrection. Paul will not allow himself to be distracted by anything else. About about 10 years ago now, 11 years ago, and I don't need to go over the whole story, but I was very concerned, and a group of us were very concerned that w- of what was happening within our denomination, that we were talking about everything but Christ, that we were consumed with the politics of our little empire, that we were so deeply worried about what was happening that we actually stopped thinking that God was in charge, and were deeply concerned that we were running this, and we were running this ship amok. And so we started this little thing called the One Project. I won't go through the whole story. But that was the impetus right there of recognizing, why are we doing this at all? Why am I a minister of the gospel? That's actually, like, that was a moment for us. We're sitting in a room going, hey, we're ministers of the gospel. That's what we were called to. And yeah, we do it within this particular denomination, this Seventh-day Adventist denomination, but that's not our identifying marker beyond what Jesus called us to. You know, I didn't get a call from the church one day saying, you know, you should be a pastor, and me going, oh, maybe I should. No, that was a confirmation, an affirmation of what God was already doing in my heart. And so it was like, yeah, that makes sense. It wasn't news to me. It was like, I mean, it was good news. They were going to pay me for it. That was nice. (laughs) But, and Paul reminds them of this. Hey, the reason why we're doing any of this at all, the reason why I'm writing you, the reason why you gathered together as a church, The reason why any of this is because Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. I will not be distracted. And see, that's the thing about kingdom priority versus empire distractions. Kingdoms point us in the right direction by reminding us that we belong to them, while empires distract us by making us think that they belong to them to us. What did I build? What did we do? How did we make this make sense? I'll tell you, over the last few years since we started planting churches, the biggest question I've had, and it's never a positive question, the biggest question I have is, are you just trying to build an empire? (laughs) It's funny to me because we don't do that. We plant churches they're conference churches and other churches and other conferences, you know, but they're just, they're churches, and we just want to help expand the kingdom of God. But people assume, and they've assumed it of me personally, I am trying to build an empire, and I will not lie, I've got ego involved sometimes, and I need to be put in check. Like, it's pretty exciting to be able to plant churches and stuff and be like, oh, that's pretty cool. Look, we, we did something somebody else hasn't done. That's super cool. And then I'm reminded, because God has a way of finding people in your life who will humble you deeply and purposefully in love and grace, and that is my wife's spiritual gift. Amen. Amen. 
And I don't even think she knows she's doing it sometimes. God just uses her transparently, right? In the greatest possible way. But the problem was, it's easy to get distracted by the empires that we build. It's easy, man. Whether it's our positions that we take, whether it's the, the things that we build around us, the structures that we build around us. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying these structures aren't helpful and all that. In fact, I don't think even Paul would say that. Paul just wanted to remind us and remind the people in Galatia that he wasn't calling them from headquarters. He had a word that came down from heaven because that's where his authority was from. God, in his wisdom, took a man who is headed to a destination to persecute Christians to Damascus. God knocked him off his horse and said, I need you to stop persecuting me. And they put him in a completely different direction. Empires can't change directions like that. Only kingdoms can do that. Only kings of kingdoms can do that. And then he says the most beautiful thing at the end of his introduction. He says, all glory to God forever and ever. Right? There's one, one reason we do this. There's one thing we want everyone to know is that all this glory goes to God. Everything I say, it's through the glory of God. Every rebuke I give, and he will give rebuke. It's for the glory of God. Every course correction in your life, it's for the glory of God. Every reminder of how good God is, it's for his glory. Every song that we sing is for the glory of God. Every ministry that we put together is for the glory of God. Every time we gather, it's for the glory of God. Whether it's in this room, another room somewhere in the United States, or whether it's at the beach, it doesn't matter. All of this is for the glory of God. That's all we do. And when we work for the kingdom, we realize we're not in charge of everything. But we realize sometimes it's God who has to provide. Something as silly and stupid as air conditioners reminds me of that. <laughs> reminds me that I'm not in charge of all this. And I have to rely on the grace of God and the way that he inspires people to get us through those times when things fail. And when we need faith to close the gap. So I got one question for you today, just one. I want you to take it with you, and I want you to take it with you as you read the book of Galatians over the next few weeks. Is it kingdom or empire for you? What are you building? What is most important to you? What do you want to have last in your life? Do you want a kingdom legacy or an empire legacy? Do you want something that will transcend the authority of man and move into the authority of God? And how do you want to share that with those who are around you and those who need to hear about the kingdom? So that's my one question today. This is going to be a good series. I'm really excited about it. But I'm especially excited to continue to worship with you. Let's bow our heads and then we'll sing God of Grace. Thank you for inspiring Paul. Thank you for revealing the truth that he needed to say to the church in Galatia. May, may we hear that kind of truth. May these words be something that convict our hearts, that direct us towards your grace and towards your mercy, towards your compassion, towards your love, towards your justice. And Lord, may we remember to build your kingdom at every step. 
so that all that glory might be yours. We need none of it. We're not worthy of it. Because even the greatest things we do pale in comparison to what you have done for us. So let us live in that grace, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. Stand and worship with us one more time.